Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. It's so, so good, isn't it, to be back together. Uh, And as Donna says, today we begin a a new series entitled From Easter to Pentecost, and we're going to be looking at prayer. And I was just saying to Don in the the break, I don't know what I can really say about prayer that we don't already know, but we just keep, it's so important to us. And in this season that will take us up to Pentecost, which is Sunday the 5th of June, we're going to look at those aspects that we believe are relevant for us now. So much happened between the resurrection and Pentecost that I think that sometimes we forget or overlook the reality, such is the build-up and the peak that we have on Easter Sunday. It was such an incredibly busy and important time. We heard from Don last week that Jesus died on the biblical spring festival of Passover. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, rose from the grave on the Feast of first fruits, And in this calendar of Hebrew events, the final spring festival is known as Pentecost. And as we now know, Pentecost was the incredible occasion when the coming of the Holy Spirit, it was poured out on the disciples and those who were with them. And so therefore, as I said, we're going to look in these coming weeks at some of the things that we believe are relevant and in season for us as individuals, but also for us as a faith community, as we build up to that wonderful Sunday of Pentecost. And we're going to let you know what our our plans are for that nearer the time. Personally, I, I love this time in the biblical narrative. And I don't think it's simply to do with my tradition coming out of a Pentecostal background. I believe there is so much that is so crucial and fundamental to who we are and how we should live and what the church looks like at this season. I think that the Catholic priest and uh, writer Henry Nouwen gets something of it. I think he gets something of my excitement when he writes these words, and they're important words. He says, without Pentecost, the Christ event, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus remains imprisoned in history as something to remember, think about, and reflect on. The Spirit of Jesus comes to dwell within us so that we can become living Christs here and now. Just an amazing season that we are going to begin. And I want us to read as our first reading, Acts chapter six, Acts chapter 1, I should say, verse 6 through to verse 14. And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Acts 1, verses 6 to 14. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? 
This Jesus who has been taken from you, or who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. All these were constantly devoting themselves <coughs> to prayer. Why pray at all? It has an obvious answer, or it should be, to those of us who are followers of Jesus. But it is good to be reminded that God hears us. It is a remarkable truth, and that if we are not careful, we can take it for granted that the God who created the universe, the one who spun stars into space and today holds everything in place, is interested in your cry and in my cry, your prayer and my prayer. I have heard many sermons on prayer that have made me feel guilty, that have left me feeling guilty, that I am not good enough, that I am not praying enough. And whilst we are all in some ways amateurs at this thing about talking to God, he in no way wants us to feel guilty or inadequate. He wants to engage with us in a wonderful two-way conversation that we can have with him. This is prayer. This is the fact that he hears us. And I have no desire for anybody to feel guilty today. But having said that, there is a thin line sometimes between feeling guilty and us being convicted about something. Guilt inevitably leads to shame and a sense of hopelessness, which is clearly not of God. But we must not lean into and choose guilt when in reality the Holy Spirit may well be holding up a challenge to us all. A challenge that says that wherever we are in our life stages, it is his desire to shape us into a praying follower of Christ within the context of a praying community. We need to avoid the easy, far too easy stance that allows us to say, oh, that made me feel guilty, when perhaps we need to own conviction and see what God is saying to us. But today I want to encourage us individually and corporately that God hears us. You'll hear me saying that again and again because it is so true and it is a wonderful truth. And I want to reflect to begin with on the wonderful difference that it makes in our lives. And if it is something that we are not doing, or perhaps not doing perhaps like we think we should be, just hold up a vision of what the wonder and awesomeness that prayer and answered prayer can bring to our lives. I find it remarkable that God listens to me. But he doesn't listen more to me than he will listen to you. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he hears you and he reminds you that he is listening whenever we speak. He does not have 
his favorites. When it comes to prayer, God does not have his favorites. Although we may not articulate it like this, sometimes I think we really believe that, you know, he listens to him, or he listens to him, he definitely listens to her than he does to me or to that person. And sometimes we knock ourselves out of the game by thinking, oh, well, perhaps he doesn't listen to us. Well, he does. You, me, whoever we are today, God listens, and I can't get my head around it and fully take it in. It would be so renewing, reinvigorating, refreshing for many of us if we were able to carve out just some time in our day to come and seek his face and then pursue it as a lifelong ambition. Why is it that God listens to us? If you are a follower of Christ today, I wonder who taught you how to pray? Who taught you to pray when you first got saved? Most of us learned from those around us or the church that we were raised in. And some of what we experienced was good and some of it was not so good. Some of what we saw helped us and some of what we saw turned us off prayer completely. Some of the good things we saw in others was passion and fire and we heard many, many grammatical errors and mistakes were made and people fumbled and bumbled over their words and we were sometimes brought to tears, but we were won over by their passion to talk to God on behalf of others. We were with people who loved God and who knew something of the role and importance of prayer in their life. You know, the mistakes didn't matter. What, who they were was the key thing. Other things we heard and saw were not so encouraging, and maybe this is my own autobiography. People who prayed what seemed like for hours and must have bored God. People who prayed for the whole world in one go, and it felt like it as you had to listen. Some people prayed and all they seemed to do was bring all scriptures together. Not that those are wrong, this is my confession time. But goodness me, and they tried to impress people. Maybe this is just my experience. They tried to impress people when in fact they were doing the opposite. And you know the ones that really, really boggled my mind? You would have a very ordinary conversation with them, and when they suddenly started to pray, they had a religious voice that they came before the living God. And I'm thinking, what? Maybe you haven't come across those people. <laughs> There's a few more who know what I'm talking about than you're going to admit. For me, for me personally, I fell in love with prayer, especially corporate prayer, because the people had a passion and they wanted to talk to God. When it comes to private or personal or intimate prayer, I was introduced to prayer because of the example of two people in my life, my mother and my father. We don't have time to talk about legacy today, parents and grandparents, but I was taught to pray by my, my mum and dad every night before he went to bed. I would see my father kneel by the side of the bed and he would pray without fail. And if we as a family were making too much noise, which happened all the time, he would simply pull a sheet over his head and he would continue to pray. I never saw him pray in the morning, not because he didn't, but because he was a dairy farmer and was always up way before me. 
but he did the same. My mother, and I've, some of you will have heard this story before, but forgive me, I think it's worth telling. My mother, when we were growing up, every time my mother prayed for us corporately or in a group setting, she prayed for her mum, for my grandmother. And she always prayed these sort of words, went something like this. Father, we pray, please don't take grandmother from us until we know that she's gone to be with you. The explanation is this. All my family were followers of Christ, except for my grandmother. And my mum always prayed for her. My grandmother gave her heart to the Lord on her deathbed when she was 88 years old. But for the best part, if not more than 50 years, my mother prayed for her mother to see her saved before she entered eternity. Now, I cite these two examples not for the sake of being cute or just folksy, but to say that I learned and had instilled in me from a young age about two things that I have never forgotten about prayer, faithfulness and perseverance. Perseverance and faithfulness. And nothing has changed. My life around prayer has therefore been influenced and guided by two overarching principles, that God is faithful and that we can trust him with anything and everything. But I am going to admit, I have made some terrible mistakes and blunders in my prayer life. I have shouted at him. I have complained to him more than I have thanked him. I have argued with him more than I have trusted him. I have doubted him at times when I should have relied more upon his word. And I have failed, and this is an incredibly dumb thing to say, but I have failed to give him the benefit of the doubt more than I have trusted his character. I say this because this is probably true for every single one of us today, and I want you to take that as an encouragement. But also, if we have been followers of Christ and if we have prayed, then we should be able to testify to the fact that prayer has changed our lives on many, many occasions in specifics and in general attitudes and in our character. I hope that prayer has made us kinder people. I think it's made me a kinder man. It has definitely made me a better father and hopefully a better husband and grandfather to come. It has, without doubt, helped me fulfill my role that I have carried out for 40 years. If you want to be a better spouse, then pray. If you want to be a better son, daughter, parent, employer, employee, in-law, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, then pray. If I can throw this out there, not sure that we are serious about these things or wanting to make changes in these areas until we are really praying about them. We need to get help get counsel, get a good book, but get praying. Say all this because God, through the power and obedience that flows from a community of people who know the importance of prayer, he can change everything about us. He can change things around us if we respond in such a way. The first century Disciples, they were obedient, they went back to Jerusalem, they were together, they were united, and they were praying. 
God hears us. He hears our cry and he hears you and me. He's interested in our lives. If we take one thing from this message, apart from the funny voice that people used to pray with, if you take one thing out of today's message is that he longs to commune with you and he longs to hear your voice. He longs to hear our voices raised together. You know, when he hears your voice, it is a joy to him. It is a thrill and a delight to him. It brings joy to his heart when he knows that you want to talk with him and commune with him. You know, my kids are grown up, but I so love it when they ring me up and say, how you doing, Dad? And I sort of say, anything you want? Oh, no, I just, just want to chat. And if you're a parent of grown-up kids here, there is no delight like it, or of teenagers. Friends, don't let our voices be unfamiliar to him. In addition to what we've already read, I want us to look quickly at two other passages of Scripture. See again his care for us. In the lead-up to the dedication of the first temple by King Solomon to God, we read that Solomon cries out to God and asks God, will you hear us? Will you turn to us? Will you be merciful? And this is how God replies. It's a familiar to Chronicles 7:14 says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. This is a promise that when God hears us, there is something of hope that is birthed in our souls. If my people do this, I will respond. Something responds in the heart of God when we cry out to him. And I don't know this, I don't mean this next section facetiously or humorously, but I, I don't know much about theology. And I mean that quite genuinely. Neither do I really know much about God. The older I get, the less I feel I know about him. But I love him now more than I have ever loved him. I love him more than when I first started walking with him. And I know his friendship, and I know something of what it is to be a son and for him to be my father. But I also know this to be true, that if New Zealand and if the churches and the people of these churches ever want to see God move again, want to see his church come out of COVID stronger than we went into it, then we need to pray. Then we need to pray. If this is to happen, something of the importance and role of prayer in our lives and in our faith community has to be renewed and revived, and there has to be a cultural change amongst us. There is no shortcut. There is no magical formula. We need to pray. And what is true about the church in this country is true of our lives and of our families. We can spend time caught up in our worries and our fears, talking to each other, this is not wrong, talking to our friends, nothing wrong with this, but one word from God and a thousand situations can change. If we move towards him in prayer and he comes towards us, God lays out an invitation. If my people who are called by my name will 
humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear. At this moment of great celebration for the children of Israel, when the temple is finished and all is virtually perfect, it would have been empty if God had not turned up. And we know that he did. Our lives, our families, our surroundings can have all the trimmings, the outward look of being fine, of happy families, maybe advanced by education or money or friends and so on. But if God is not in our midst, if he does not move, if we do not move him in prayer, if we do not move towards him and vice versa, then why? Then if we have everything but no presence of God in our, in our, in our families and in our meetings and in our circumstances, I mean, then why? He has the ability to transform and will respond to us in prayer. See, the only thing that can transform us, our families and our communities, is God. And it is hard, and if it is hard to ask God to do, then, to do this, there must be a reason why it is hard. And I'll tell you why it is hard. It is because the enemy of our souls would rather we talk to everyone and anyone other than God. But he can do something. And he has said to us, this is how it works. If you pray, I will listen. If you turn, I will respond. If you cry out, I will answer. If you acknowledge that you need me, I will meet you. If you are humble enough to be broken before me, I will rebuild you. Prayer is an incredible privilege and opportunity that we have. You know, God is not looking for the cleverest people in this room because he is cleverer than all of us. He's not looking for the most attractive, the, those who've got most friends on social media. He is looking for those who know they need him. He is looking for people who will become a conduit of life in a dying world and he is listening. The Bible is full of so many examples of him listening. We've just come out of this incredible series that Don's been doing on Exodus and Moses, where God says to Moses, I have seen my people's misery, I've heard their cry, and I have come down to deliver them. See, God sees the miseries, the misery on our streets and across our nation and in our homes. He sees the heartbreak behind them, and he is looking for a people, a person, a community who says, I will give you my hand. I will give you my heart. I will give you my future. And he is looking to respond to that. See, many hundreds of years later, around 606 BC, Israel was facing its darkest hour. It, had been it was being taken into captivity by the Babylonians for 70 years and into which God raised a prophet called Jeremiah. And he was known as the weeping prophet because you read, the, read Jeremiah and all he seems to do is cry and lament. Jeremiah asks God not to destroy Jerusalem, asks God not to let it happen, to make sure this is avoided. Please, God, don't let this happen. And God says, no. Then God says, further, this city is going to be devastated. The people are going to be disciplined and the people are going to be dispersed and everything is going to look like it's over. And for the next two generations, 
they are going to go through the worst kind of experience imaginable. And then just a couple of chapters later, then we read what God says to them in chapter 31. Imagine this. God has just said, no, I'm not going to answer those prayers. I am going to do what I need to do with my people. Then just a couple of chapters later in, verse, in chapter 31, he says, at the darkest hour, they're at the darkest hour, whatever our darkest hour is, whether it be our life seems in a complete mess or maybe we're standing at a graveside or in a doctor's clinic or the tests have come back and they're not what we want or we're losing a house because of a, a missed mortgage repayment. And then in the midst of this darkest hour in response to the prayers that have gone up, he says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future. And Jeremiah seeing something of his prayers moving. And then, two chapters later in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, it says this, Call on me, and I will show you great and mighty things that you have never seen before. It is when everything seems at the biggest possible dead end, and you wonder what's going on. Into that, God says, I have plans for you. Call upon me, and I will respond. It is in such moments that God desires to interrupt us, to touch us and transform us and respond to our prayers. When we don't know what to do, when we don't know to whom to turn to, when every avenue has been explored and we have hit rock bottom, God can see us through. When we have nothing else to cling to, he is enough and we need to come before him in prayer. And it may be, Lord, Maybe we come to our God and we say, Lord, I don't know what to pray, but I want you to save me, help me. I believe he responds to that. I believe he comes and he cries out to that. He so loves our voice that he wants to hear it. And he has the capacity to hear our prayers, to know our hearts, and reach into the depth of our souls and make some real changes as we seek his face. In this build-up to Pentecost, we're reminded that Jesus told us, Jesus tells us, seek my Father, seek my Father, seek him. We read many examples. I'm going to read three. One from Matthew 21 says, whatever you ask for in prayer with faith, you will receive. And then Mark 11, and you'll know that this is from the message. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large, including everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. And then John 16, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. You know, we do, we do run into a few problems if we think about prayer for very long, and in fact, we run into quite a, a number. Why doesn't God always say yes why doesn't he heal every person we ask him to heal why doesn't he intervene every time we need him to intervene there are many theological answers i could give you the presence of sin in the world and the conflicts that exist within and the sense of that we live in the tension of already and not yet that the kingdom has come but it is not yet fully consummated and this will happen when Jesus comes. You know, there are challenges also around how we pray and when we pray and why we pray and the motivation of our prayers. 
James says, you ask, but you do not receive because you ask from a wrong motive. And there are many good answers, and I think we probably know most of them. In the end, when we say, why doesn't God give me what I want? Sometimes what we want is not good for us. Ruth Bell Graham, those of you of a certain generation will know this lady. She is the wife of the, the late Billy Graham. Just uh, this is the most cute photograph I could find of them. And um, about six years before she died, she turned to Billy and she said to Billy, Billy, I am pleased that God didn't answer all my prayers with a yes. And he replied, dear, why is that so? And this is her answer, she said, because if he had, I wouldn't be married to you. <laughs> I believe some people need to hear this today. Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to because he has heard conversations that we haven't heard. And he has seen things go on behind our back that we haven't seen. And he has seen allegiances made that if, we were to, if he were to answer our prayer with a yes, it would see our lives devastated. In the end, there is a mystery about this, and we don't know why God doesn't answer our prayers with yes. And I'm not going to sermonize this morning over possible, your possible heartbreak, and I'm not going to use pain as an illustration. But in the end, God sees, God knows, God cares, and God hears when we pray. Sometimes, especially in this day of the instant, I want it now culture, we want him to speak and answer very quickly. How many of us, when we pray, want him to speak and answer instantaneously rather than use the means of grace that God has given us by which he speaks? We just want it straight away. I just want to touch upon this for a couple of moments, and can I gently speak to the mindset or the outlook that wants or expects God to answer and it has to be now, and if he hasn't answered, then there's something wrong and we doubt him. How arrogant do I have to be to assume that if God heard me, I would know by now because if he had heard me, he would have done what I said. Who do I think I am to judge whether or not he heard me by whether he has followed through or not when I made my expectations and demands made to him. I think I'd better check my theology. And no, none of this runs counter to what I've already said about prayer and his delight in hearing us. But it does demand that we humble ourselves before an, an almighty God and remind ourselves of the privilege of becoming before such a God. It is an awesome privilege that we have. We hold intention that yes, we come before a heavenly Father and we cry, Abba, and yet we bow the knee before the judge of all the earth who will do right. A couple of moments ago, I used the following phrase, to use the means of grace that God has given let me read it. To use the means of grace that God has given us by which he speaks. 
This is in regard to the working out or we discover how he speaks to us, how he, how, how he responds to our prayers. Let me explain. It was about three or four years ago, maybe five or six years ago, I wasn't in church on a Sunday morning, which is, I don't know where I was. I think Hope was here, but I don't know. But the following week, I had some people just smiling at me who don't normally smile at me. And some of you, when you smile at me, just make me nervous. And, um, but the following Sunday, I, I found out what happened. Don had been speaking the previous week on listening to the voice of God or hearing the voice of God. And I was away, and he said this thing. He said, oh, I asked Chris, what does God's voice sound like to him? And Chris came back with an immediate answer. Sounds like hope. <laughs> but in truth, God sounds most like my wife in my life. Ordinary conversations, moments across the table at breakfast or sitting chatting as TV is on in the background. Conversations in the car when everything and everything can be talked about. But especially about what we do now as we hit this grand age of 60 and that we are grandparents. God speaks to me through hope. She is the human voice that I hear more than anyone else speak to me as God's voice or anything as God doesn't speak to me through anybody else as much as he does through her. But I also hear God's voice and hear the way forward through Don and through Mike, through my children, through the pastoral team. A collective wisdom that has the ability to harness something that God may be saying to me. A real sense of when we live together with people and who God has put in our life, we do life better together. We pray together, we hear God together, he speaks. I hear him through you. A voice that says, thank you for the day, Chris. Or Chris, you look tired, are you okay? Your voice has often been to me the voice of God reminding me that he sees, that he cares, that he is interested in me. But with all these ex examples is the stress point, is the strain, is the tension, they are all human voices in the end, and they may be wrong. But friends, the Bible is not wrong. When we pray and when we seek him, he speaks to us through his word. He answers prayer directly from his inspired word if we take the time to listen to him. He will guide us. He will tell us off. He will chastise us. He will hold us. He will protect us. He will instruct us. He will bridle us because he loves us so much. Musicians, please come and join me. So today we, we start our journey from Easter to Pentecost by looking at the whole area of prayer. People who were committed to prayer. They were a community who knew and loved prayer and they did it. They were sold out on prayer. And the call to us to respond in some way. F.B. Mayer, the author of the great little book, I don't even know if it's still in publication, it's still available. It's called The Secret of Guidance, says the tragedy of life is not an answered prayer, but an offered prayer. Instead of it being something we do every day, like breathing and eating and walking and talking, it seems to have become a little bit like that glass-covered box on the wall that says, 
break in an emergency. It is so often that true that prayer gets associated with the crises in our life. Prayer, though, can be an untapped reservoir for us that we need to tap into and we need to get excited about. I believe that prayer outside of salvation is one of the greatest gifts of God to us, to commune and to walk with him. In 1952, Albert Einstein was delivering a lecture on the campus of Princeton University. A doctoral student asked the famous scientist, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? With considerable thought and profundity, Einstein replied, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Prayer is there for us to discover, to look at, to participate in, and to enjoy communion with God. My, my prayer for us is that we would discover afresh, or perhaps for the first time as we go into this series, the wonder of this gift that we call prayer. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.